0: Time now for another Thrash Pie Radio podcast. Welcome. This is where I get to celebrate the, the pure rock years of FM, Southern California's heavy metal flagship radio station. I must admit that you, as a listener, have been uh, very patient in putting up with all of these stories of mine. And it, it occurred to me that uh, of the, uh, the people that I've interviewed and talked to to get you know, to fill in the story, that is the story that I knew and I remember. Um, we didn't really put that much of my story in it. So today, I have invited the king of radio show producers, Mike Stark, uh, who had been uh, has been my friend for years and was my producer on the uh, Thrash by Morning radio show at KNAC FM. Uh, Mike's going to interview me, and we'll try to make sense of this podcast from that standpoint so welcome mike
1: thank you sir well your story is important to the overall picture of knac because i believe and correct me if i'm wrong you were there off and on for longer than any of the other jocks am i right i think so two different stints
0: three years the first time Three years to second, right? No, no, actually, but yes, that's that, that's correct. I think I was there eight years altogether, so okay, my math so isn't too good.
1: Nobody else, maybe Long Paul or uh, Paul. Yes, but he left earlier. Paul
0: left at um, in in late in '94 when. Uh, excuse me about midway 94 when klos was changing formats to an alternative or rock sort of aor sort of thing so anyway
1: the 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 point is is that you were there probably longer than any other jock on-air jock or at least close to it in bits and pieces yeah
0: but also tawn right was well Well, she she, left she left as well so
1: right all right when when did you we'll start right at the beginning when did you first hear about knac and what was the process that got you to the station
0: What I did was take a vacation from the radio station I was working at in Tampa, Florida. Uh, It was an old snoozy dog of an AOR station. And it was at the time when they were changing, you know, boring radio stations to even more boring radio stations. And they made it a classic rock WKRL Tampa Bay. Mm. And, you know, I was dying, to be honest. I took a vacation from that gig, came out here to visit a friend in Los Angeles Lou Simon, who was uh, he's one of the great radio guys, great interviewer, um, you know, record guy. He does the Sinatra channel on Sirius these days. Mm. Very, very knowledgeable guy. Anyway, visiting Lou, we're driving around in the car. He's showing me Hollywood. I hadn't been to Los Angeles in years and years. And he said, oh, nearly forgot. You got to hear this station that just flipped uh, about three days ago. And they're doing characters. It's wild. It's rock music. You'll love it. Check this out. Bang. He punches over there. And there's probably Queensryche, as I recall, one of the Queensryche songs, something, something that I knew was not being played anywhere Mm. in the country. And I think there was a jock on named Mary the Maniac, Mm. you know? And uh, I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, ever uh, being ever the theatrical guy, that's what I want to do. Um. And, you know, made up my mind at that moment. It was an epiphany to get back to KNAC, get on the air. That I didn't know how I was going to do it. I had, no, I, you know, I had no chance. I get back to Tampa. I start cutting up air checks and mailing cassettes to KNAC twice a month. Next six, seven months worth. I told this story to Stu Herrera. He said, I'm surprised I didn't get, get an injunction or, a, you know, yeah. a, a restraining order. on you. Stalking. Yeah, stalking. So um, anyway, didn't hear, didn't hear, didn't hear. And, um, was working freelance that summer, had done a movie, done some part-time radio up and down the East coast. And I get a call from Lou. He says, Jimmy Christopher, the PD of KNAC just called, call him now. And they were, they offered me the job. Wow. Just that, like wait, that. Boom.
1: So you packed up the car? Oh, you bet.
0: Yeah. Sold most everything as most disc jockeys do. Actually, I should say Jimmy, uh, on the phone, this was a Thursday when I called him, as I recall. And he said, um. Can you start Monday? <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, and of course I couldn't. I had to get my rid of my stuff, and it's a sure. it's a, easily a three to four day journey driving by yourself cross country. Right. So uh, packed up the stuff, went and visited the folks, drove out here, and I think several days before Halloween, uh, nineteen eighty six, I got on. I, I made my first visit down there. And that was a fun trip because all the, everybody there, staff included, you know, office people, everybody dressed up in Halloween. There were axes in the heads, you know, blood all over the, it was, I thought this is going to be a fun, fun place to be. So that's how
1: I got there. And then you, you went on the air and, uh, you stayed for several years before you left for a short period and, uh, and did some other things, um, so you were there for a long period of time. There's a lot of things that took place over those many years you were there. Uh, give us a couple of the events that stood out during your stay at the station. First thing was something that I
0: heard on the air one afternoon. This would have been 87. And uh, I would always check in, you know, the radio station. I, I go home at, you know, 10, 30 or 11 after I do my right. quick production work as the morning guy. So I get home and I take a nap. And I wake up, and I turn on the radio, and here's some guy with a British accent talking. And Tawn, you know, our, our rock star, right. she was interviewing this guy. And um, I realize about 10 seconds into it that, oh, my God, that's David Coverdale. And he has brought Tawn his record to give the world premiere. Wow. Right there on our little station. And that record, that White Snake record... With, um, you know, all of those hit records on it. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, that was, that was a monumental, monumental thing in my mind at that moment. I don't think any of the other radio stations in town were paying any attention. Because they didn't play Whitesnake for a long time afterwards. Right. But they lost out. That was one of the records that made our, uh, you know, that, that made our bacon right sure. there. For sure. For sure. Secondly the Monsters of Rock show, right. summer 1988. Which you've covered on, on
1: this podcast. Which I've covered on yeah. the
0: podcast a number of times. But to be standing on stage after the people at Avalon had just pulled the plug on Metallica for fear that the Metallica fans were going to riot and tear the place to pieces, which, of course, they did not do. Oh. They right. just got down close to the front. Right. And um, standing out on that stage at the Coliseum. And, you know, there were 65, 70,000 kids out there. And, you know, that was a monumental thing for me, personally, and and in my career. That's the biggest stage I'll ever be on. Right, right.
1: Uh, KNAC had special nights at clubs all throughout (laughs) Southern California. As fun as they were for the fans of the station, these club appearances that you and the other jocks made were were essential to supplementing your less than impressive salaries at the station. That was well put. That was nicely put. Uh, Can you take us through how these events were set up and how important these appearance payments were to your financial situation at the station? Okay. They're set up by, obviously, one of our
0: salesmen. The guy that did most of that for me was a guy named Bobby Coots, who's still selling radio down in San Diego in some form or another. Still a great friend. Uh, and Bobby had a bunch of clubs. One of them most notable was the Marquee. Hmm. in uh, that's Garden Grove, isn't it? Yeah, yes. I think it is. Um, so we all became friends with the owner or the promoter of that club, a guy named Troy, who was the spitting image of Steve Perry and Journey. But different story. So... Coots would sell this, the, the, the sales package for the events happening at that club that week. One of those events would feature thrash by on stage. Right. Or spinning records or doing, doing whatever, giving away T-shirts and, and that kind of thing. So my appearance was tied in with that sales package. Now, I don't know what they paid for commercials. But when we started out in 87, they were paying 100 bucks. For an appearance, which is you know not bad, I could right. use a hundred bucks. Sure. And by the time I left, um, I had made a deal on my own with a different promoter. Still same commercials. Still Bobby Coote selling the the commercials for the station, but I was getting like two fifty. Oh wow! Right. So that's that's a heck of a lot better now. At big stations in Los Angeles, where I worked at, I, I made you know nearly double that. Oh, so it's, okay. it's just a matter of you know where you are and what, who, how many people you can drag into the. To the club
1: now it wasn't just bob that was selling no. those club spots so there were other clubs that were involved in this this weekly mix you bet you know the red onion i think was right. one of them and there were some others and the other jocks also sure. supplemented their income with that and and the uh appearance fee was generally 100 or 150 bucks at, right?
0: at uh, you know early on i think 200 was the max at the end of it you know everybody was kind of uh doing better you know, at that point, because well, the station was doing better, and we were actually billing more. So, you know, you bring in more people, that cost that's going to cost them more. That may only make sense. Uh, Missy Halfley had the Red Onions. Right. And they did really, really well for a time. Um, boy, you know, there were clubs all over the place. When I first started, there were clubs in Long Beach. What was that place down here? The, the ballroom, the, what, the Fenders Ballroom. Oh, right. Did Fenders. Paul did a Guns N' Roses show there long before they were even signed or anything. Right. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I asked Paul, I said, did you get paid for that gig? He, probably not. He, it's not what he remembered, getting paid. So there were clubs all over the place.
1: And this was especially uh, a problem for you. You needed the money, obviously, to do these late-night gigs. Mm-hmm. But then the late-night gigs would morph into your morning show.
0: <laughs> I
1: definitely needed
0: the money. You know, we did not make a lot of money at KNAC. Not a union station. I think union minimum then was about fifty-five thousand a year, which is not a lot—a lot of money, no, even not. in the, even in the late '80s, early '90s. But it's you know it's adequate. So I was making probably thirty, I think, at the best. Yeah. Uh, but I would do two or three clubs a week, you know, and, and that, that's cash. Right. All right. So that's where you survive working at a station like KNC. Honestly, I you know it was fine with me. I worked I loved K and Sure. I wanted to be there. You know, believe me, when they brought me out here from from uh Florida, <laughs> I think Jimmy offered me fifteen hundred bucks a month. And I said, Whoa, LA, that station? I'm doing it. Oh wow. So I just burnt through all anything that I'd saved up over the years just to get in there. So a-
1: any memorable club appearances? Wow. Um, you mean in terms of <laughs> In terms of however you want to define it. <laughs> yeah. I know there's some that uh, maybe you don't want to talk about or maybe you do want to talk about. Well,
0: I'll, I'll talk about them. The, um, the biggest club event that I put together was when Jack Trash was with me on oh, the right. morning show. Yeah. And I think you were even at this one because I rented a limo and drove everybody down there right. so we could all, you know, imbibe. Oh, correct. Uh, the Thrash Trash Christmas Bash. And, you know, the, the promoter there, Joe Schultz. Um, told me that that was the biggest event in that club he'd ever uh, promoted. Wow! So, it, and maybe maybe he meant most profitable, which meant I screwed myself by not yeah.
1: charging him more. Right? <laughs> you probably got your regular appearance fee, or I
0: think that's what I got.
1: Yeah. And and Shark Island, which was a fairly well known act, actually was the headliner for that. Yeah, it? and yeah, um, also uh,
0: that that's right. Well, Gary was with Heavy Bones. Oh, was and it? they played also.
1: Oh, okay. So I got them mixed up. Well, no, yeah, no, sh- sh- no. Both there. It was a big night. Yeah. Big, yeah. big
0: night. We had even Heidi Fleiss girls there that oh, night. Wow,
1: the Elfettes. Like the
0: Thrash yeah. by Elfettes. Now, I didn't know they were Heidi Fleiss girls at the time. And to refresh memory, Heidi Fleiss is one of the most well-known madams in Los Angeles history.
1: Right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Enough, enough on that. Next huh? question, please. Okay. Finally, after it became evident that the station was going to go away. How did you process that? And more importantly, how were you ultimately affected by its demise? Well,
0: you you'll remember we were called in for an afternoon staff meeting and not just air staff, everybody in the building. We all crammed in the conference room and Gary price, our general manager, God bless him. Did not beat around the bush. He said, "Hi, is everybody here?" Yeah. Um I brought you here today to announce to you and let you be known and let it be known that KNAC has been sold to Lieberman Broadcasting and will become a Spanish language program station February 15th, 1995. That was in late in the October or early November as I remember. Yeah, I, I don't right. remember the exact date. The I don't it. either. Um, which at which point there's a dead silence in the room with the 50 or 60 people that are gathered there and somewhat surprised, but you know, we were doing so well that we were a target for acquisition and, you know, and knowing that in my heart about radio, you know, you kind of figure that's going to happen. But I also was naive enough to tell myself, you know, I got to LA, everybody that gets to LA is on the air for 25, 30 years right so i that's what i wanted to believe that was the uh that was the self-denial that i was in um but what happened immediately was gary explained to us that we were not to talk about becoming a spanish language station and that we were to you know we were going to go on out about our business we were going to do our best to say goodbye in a in a subtle sort of a way but we weren't going to make waves right and the lieberman people were terrified that again the the uh, you know metal audience was going to come down there and trash the place which of course they didn't course uh, that our audience has always been you know misunderstood and sure. mischaracterized from right. the get go right so how it changed my life was uh i had already done 20 years in radio i was wondering how much longer i was going to be able to do this didn't include all the KNC. i'd been in radios for you know maybe 10 years before that sure but um You know, I was engaged to be married at that time. I was looking for a transition. I was thinking, "Mm, I'll do part-time radio. I'll do some syndicated radio somewhere. We'll keep this thing alive somehow. And that wasn't to be. I wasn't able to do that. And uh, I worked at a television station for a while, which, uh, ironically, was owned by Lieberman. Mm. So it was, uh, you know, it was a terrible transition for me because I really missed doing it. It's one of those uh, fun things. It's certainly fun. It's a lot of work, and it's time-consuming, and it's life-absorbing, which I think is the hardest part to let go because you're busy doing it all sure, the time. Sure. Your life is suddenly you get to sleep, you know. Till 8 o'clock.
1: <laughs> yeah. 8 a.m. Right. Or, or 10 a.m. Instead
0: of taking a nap and right. getting home at 2 after a club gig and getting back up at 5 and going in and doing a show. So in that so way. So the it, energy
1: it, level went to zero, it basically. It goes to zero.
0: You become instantly retired on the beach. Right, as they call it in radio. That's terms. right. That's so. the
1: term they use. And uh, uh, what does that do to your head?
0: Well, it puts you in a depression, which you may attest to the fact that you know me. You know me as well as anyone. Um, in the last uh, twenty-five years, I was certainly depressed and in denial about it. Right. But uh, you know, it's a it, it's a tough thing to come to get over. I, I'm sure this. I, probably called midlife crisis to anybody else right but i was only 40 or 41 i th- I can't remember but you know that's still kind of old to be doing you know rock radio sure and particularly staying up all night and running yourself into the ground but um yeah that it, it threw me into a depression i was i never went to a shrink or anything and i didn't take any meds or anything i right you know got out how, of it how much way.
1: do you think that had to do with the nature of the station and the family and all of that whereas you, you know in radio you get fired all the time you right. get you get pushed away so uh, you're kind of if you're in radio you already know you're going to be leaving stations all the time do you think that the fact that KNAC was such a special place that added to that depression there's no bit?
0: question about it it's uh, it's it was losing 40 family members yeah. or however many we were, you know, uh, it was, it was a very, very emotional, certainly emotional on the day of, you know, that 15th of yep. February, 1995. Uh, I remember when it was finally over and, you know, fade to black was played right. The tears sure that came from just about everybody. And of course, you know, I was holding back the tears and naturally cranked up the volume on the thrash by character and became a complete <laughs> asshole about everything. I mean that's how I handled it, it right. was, which was you know certainly not a mature way to do I think do there it. was some
1: mooning involved. Eh, it was absolutely that. some bare butts. That's what I thought. Yes sir, yeah. standing
0: on desks no yeah. less.
1: But there's actually evidence of that I believe.
0: There are it's photographic yeah. and otherwise will and I have <laughs> I have a mind to put that in my documentary film about the station. But um yeah, it was it, it was a very very tough thing. And in fact, I didn't deal with it, you know, emotionally very well at right. all. I, I, I was, you know, you, you, I want to say that I, you know, <laughs> stiff up her lip and all that. Right. But you know, I didn't look at that station like I looked at all the other ones. Sure. The other ones, I all, wa- I wanted to leave all those other ones. You know, so when it came time, whether it was my idea or not, that was fine. <laughs> yeah. i I'd move on. But I did not want to leave KNAC. I did not want to leave that situation. And it's because of the wonderful people who were there right. and how much it was supported by our audience. Sure. That was the, the huge attraction for for me at KNAC was the people that listened to that station. I cannot tell you what it is to go on a radio station. I was on 13 altogether, KNAC being the last one. Right. You know. All of those other ones, nobody gives a real damn about them. Sure. I mean, under I mean, ultimately. Right. Right. So when your audience does care that much, and regardless of the reasons sure. or, or whatever the music is, right, you know, they're invested emotionally, and sure. so you have to, you know, there has to be an exchange yep. between the, you know, me talking to them on the air and m- meeting them and knowing that they're there. Yep. They're, that's an emotional exchange. So. That left a huge hole with me. And with any other radio station, nah. Yeah. Wasn't like that. So there, there, there was nothing like it ever in certainly my career. So on that happy note, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> that's all you got? Well, I tell you what, you've done a pretty good job. We've hit a, a number of the highlights there. And, uh, you know, I could probably start at uh, October 1986 and talk for about five hours you know, how, you know, things that I ran into and things that happened to me and, you know, idiot things that I did, behavior that I'd like to forget. (laughs) Um, you know, but I made so many wonderful contacts there and, um, you know, they're still out there. So I, I am thankful for every moment. You know, there's a lesson to be learned from probably the greatest guy I've heard on in broadcasting, certainly in Los Angeles, Vin Scully. Oh, right. Vin said, um, you know, and I start thinking about Vin, and I'll tear up about Vin, because God bless, man. Uh, anyway, Vin said, you know, I'm not going to be sad that it's over. I'm just glad that it happened. All right, well, there you have it. Thank you, Mike Stark. God bless you, the king of radio show producers. That's it for this particular session. And as always, your comments and even complaints are welcome at thrashpiradio at com. So give us a like and a share and uh, keep your eye on your Facebook page for the next Thrash Pie radio podcast.